This is Pulp and Paper Canada, the podcast, hosted by Pulp and Paper Canada magazine, the industry's news source since 1903. You've tuned in to hear conversations with pulp and paper experts on the latest technologies and trends affecting this essential part of Canada's forest products sector. Hello and welcome to Pulp and Paper Canada, the podcast. I'm your host, Christina Urquhart, editor of Pulp and Paper Canada magazine. Today, we're talking tissue. And as we well know, tissue's been having a bit of a moment in 2020. We all remember the empty store shelves as consumers hoarded paper products at the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic. But we saw a rapid response from an industry thrown into overdrive. Reserve capacity was used, shipments were expedited, and it wasn't too long before consumer tissue stocks were replenished, alongside some strict household purchase limits. On the flip side, the away-from-home tissue market has seen a major decline. The travel industry has been decimated, restaurants and many workplaces remain closed. In today's episode, I'm joined remotely by Pete Augustine, president of Fabio Perini North America, an Italian paper converting and packaging machinery and services company. He's speaking with me from Green Bay, Wisconsin, where he has full responsibility for strategic planning, operations management, sales, project development, customer service, and production of Fabio Perini in North America, with additional oversight for the Latin American market. Pete is also chairman of the board of directors for TAPI, the technical association for the pulp and paper industry, an 8,000-member not-for-profit organization dedicated to the development of the paper industry. Throughout the pandemic, TAPI has been helping its members navigate through brand new business challenges. Pete gives us his take on how TAPI's membership and the tissue industry at large have fared over the past six months and on what comes next. Thanks for joining us, Pete. Yeah, thank you. So to kick things off today, please let our listeners know what TAPI does and how it works for the Canadian pulp and paper industry in particular. Thanks, Christina. Yeah, TAPI is the technical association for the pulp and paper industry, and it is a global resource. Our membership comes from 62 countries, including Canada. TAPI supports the Canadian pulp and paper industry in a lot of different ways, including promoting their events, offering training courses, and sharing non-competitive best practice information to help improve the overall global paper industry. We serve primarily as a technical resource, providing information through a host of channels, from peer-reviewed scientific publications to published books that serve as kind of the go-to industry references. And with safety being uh, foremost on everyone's mind, especially today, we also offer TAPI-SAFE, which is an industry-specific safety orientation program for mills and box plants offered in both English and French. So you mentioned safety. Obviously, that's really important right now throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. How has TAPI been helping its members cope with what's been going on? TAPI supporting members uh, who may have been furloughed by continuing their membership at no cost to those individuals. In addition, some of the members have taken advantage of our online career center and are actually out looking for new jobs if they were unable to keep their prior jobs. Communication is essential, especially now with many countries in or potentially emerging from lockdowns. Our conferences were and still are a primary vehicle for idea sharing and problem solving. Having to postpone those has kind of left a void. So we've been encouraging our members to make use of TAPI's online platform called Connect, where they can post questions or issues and have access to subject matter experts from around the world. In fact, we started a new program on Connect called Ask Me Anything, where industry subject matter experts offer to answer questions and help resolve issues on specific topics like mill operations, best practices, and safety. And in fact, our most recent Ask Me Anything in May featured TAPI member and University of Toronto, Dr. Hongi Tran, who led an online discussion on craft recovery boilers. 
We also increase the number of webinars, e-learning, and blended course options we offer, as well as hosting virtual gatherings where groups such as our young professionals can get together and socialize in this current age. You're uh, moving PaperCon to 2021 and combining it with TissueCon and the Net Inc. Conference and the Women's Summit as well. What are people able to expect from that combined show, considering that it's not happening this year? So first off, they can expect a new name. It's going to be called TappyCon. Six events are coming together in one amazing interactive conference. We're excited about TappyCon because attendees will have more choices for sessions more exhibitors to visit, and plenty of networking time with friends, colleagues, customers, and suppliers under very new and strict safety protocols, which we're working through right now. In your day job, you're also president of Fabio Perini North America. We've obviously seen a great deal of demand for tissue during COVID-19. What is the market looking like right now, three months into this? It's one of those things where you see so many things going on in the world where uh, unemployment skyrocketing, people are losing their jobs. But the beautiful thing in our industry, specifically the tissue segment, it's obvious there's been incredible demand. So I think the stats I read, it says tissue product sales doubled in March and April. Call it whatever you want, panic buying uh, or just plain stocking up that the coronavirus or COVID-19 caused really put sales through the roof in the tissue space. So if you look at that huge surge for what we traditionally call the retail or at-home products, Everybody stocking up has, has taken pretty much every North American tissue mill running into full blast as much as they can do. It's had a pretty insane impact. You know, you've seen it in a lot of different product categories, but it wasn't just, you know, at-home consumer tissue, but we've got anything from uh, wipes and cleaners and moist towelettes, baby wipes, things like that. I guess it really showed what happens when the world experiences kind of a first-of-its-kind scenario like it did. You mentioned consumer products primarily. What about the away from home market? I travel around a lot and talk to a lot of different people in both, you know, away from home and the at home market. And certainly it's obvious there's been a decline in the away from home tissue demand. In some cases, you know, there's major companies that are saying like their restaurant group, basically a hundred percent decline. I mean, zero going from a very strong, healthy business to zero virtually overnight. We have heard pockets of better news where I think some customers were able to shift especially uh, toilet tissue products uh, in the away from home. Consumers have been buying anything they can get their hands on. So they've been able to continue to run their mills and their assets that were traditionally away from home still at a high level. But when you look broadly at the whole industry, certainly it's down and in a big way. And I think that's just a simple fact of more people are now at home. I don't have an exact figure, but I know in my own household, going from one person at home to essentially five overnight, obviously increases that demand for those at-home products. So have there been any new markets or opportunities that you've seen coming down as a result of the pandemic? Yeah, we've seen some companies coming out with products, you know, call more value-added products like built-in disinfectants into their tissue or towel products with the goal of killing, you know, bacteria or viruses right on that product. We've heard that there's potential growth in the facial tissue consumption in the near future. That trend was not going in a good direction, I think, over the last few years. But I think there's some hope that all the awareness that's come out of this, that there's going to see a, a rise in that again in the future. And in our case, our company, Fabio Perini, developed a technology to make a high volume of face masks using standard tissue converting lines. So we created the ability to make kind of what we call a community mask out of a fairly traditional tissue products or some non-woven products 
that could be utilized in situations where a disposable low-cost mask is necessary. Can you tell me a little bit about what was involved in retooling for that or or converting into that operation? On a standard uh, tissue converting line, really it's just the modification to the perforation section of the line so that you need to create essentially ear slots in this piece of tissue. I don't want to say basic, it's not basic, but a, a fairly standard modification can be made. And you can go into producing a rolled version of masks that look very much like maybe a roll of bathroom tissue that you'd see at home. You just happen to pull out a longer length of mask, it's perforated, you can tear it off, uh, put it over your face for use in a scenario where a disposable mask might be more appropriate. Okay, interesting. And where are those masks being uh, deployed? This initiative is just kicking off right now. Okay. So the modifications are happening. And right now, I think that the market demand is still kind of unknown for that style of mask, but we can foresee, uh, you know, potentially being sold at retail or companies like potentially airlines. Would they see a need for having a rolled product, something that's simple to dispense and relatively low cost to give out in situations where someone may not have a more traditional surgical or cloth protective mask? How has the tissue industry been able to manage the fluctuations in capacity demands? Is there any ability to add more capacity during these kinds of times? Typically in in the tissue industry, adding capacity isn't so simple, being that tissue machines are large, complex, and typically take a year or more to start up. But we've seen our customers be able to increase their productivity by streamlining the products that they have been offering. With such a, a high demand for any style of tissue product, they've been able to rationalize the SKUs they offer a bit. So instead of having maybe dozens of different products that are quite similar with small changes, they've been able to go down to say a standard 12 pack of bath that can be uh, made at a high rate of speed and increase their productivity in that way because the less times they have to spend changing over from one product to the next, the more overall cases they can put out the door. Some that are in the away from home segment have been able to switch some of their paper making capacity from away from home tissue to a more retail style tissue, as well as the assets that they're running. There are some abilities for them to swing lines from away from home products to at home. So they've been able to make up some of the uh, production needed for that demand. And then we have seen some people that are primarily recycled content tissue mills are starting to test out some virgin pulp opportunities because they're having trouble getting some of those recovered paper supplies to make those recycled products buying behaviors have changed quite a bit as a result of the pandemic. I was speaking to somebody at IBM actually about supply chain management. He had mentioned that people are buying more family packs because they're at home and that information isn't getting to the manufacturers at an early enough point in the manufacturing process. What enables tissue manufacturers to be able to turn around so quickly? Because that's one thing I noticed over the pandemic, at least here in Canada, is while, you know, the shelves were empty at first, they started getting refilled really quickly. Well, I think a couple of things. Uh, I've heard from a lot of different producers that, you know, the industry has a pretty strong stockpile of inventory spread throughout North America. And there were quite a few uh, manufacturers that maybe even had some inventories that were an older style of advertising or an older style graphics, let's say, that eventually was probably going to get scrapped. And they were able to simply provide that to the market. There are probably millions and millions of cases of product that were sitting in warehouses that were not typically going to be sold, but they were able to put on a truck and, and bring right into the retail stores. So I think that absolutely gave a bit of a buffer to uh, some of that instantaneous demand. And overall on the tissue converting side, it's not that difficult with modern machinery today. You can switch over pretty readily. So instead of making a four pack bath 
you know, go ahead and make that into a bulk pack, go 12 or 24 rolls. Uh, it's really just a matter of some changeover parts on your wrapping equipment and maybe a different size of plastic poly wrap that goes around it. And most mills make those products as, as part of their typical offering. They just had to go and, and make the change to do that. I think overall, the industry has the ability to pivot pretty quickly when it comes to just providing an easier access to different products. The fact that there are these stockpiles throughout the continent, did that mean that that lockdown that happened in Wuhan, China in February, did that have much of an impact on the tissue industry, specifically in North America? I'm going to say not much of an impact. And I can't speak to the entire supply chain that feeds the tissue industry, but from a a supply standpoint, there isn't a lot of raw material that's coming in from China that supports those daily operations. You think about things like pulp, which is a major component of tissue. Most of that comes from Brazil or Canada or the US. We're not reliant on China for things like that. And when it comes to just machinery and spare parts and things like that, that make various machines run, again, not not a high percentage of that at all is coming from China. So in my professional experience, I didn't see a big uh, hiccup at all from what happened in China. So we are fortunate in that regard. What were some of the challenges that tissue producers faced early in the lockdown then? And have they been resolved in, in your mind? Putting the accelerator on and going from a standard production mode to maximum production mode is, is something that probably has never been done. So everyone had to adapt to that very quickly. From my perspective, we provide machinery and along with that services and support to that machinery. It was difficult because most customers had to lock down their facilities and they couldn't let third-party expertise into their mills to help them fix that equipment in the event it broke. That was difficult in that we were kind of having to rely on purely disconnected means of support. For us in the U.S. specifically, we were still able to have people travel the entire time. That worked okay. We just had to take a lot of precautions to make sure safety was being met anywhere it could. But you saw a situation like what happened in Canada with the mandatory 14-day quarantine period. That was difficult because we do uh, service and support a lot of customers in Canada. Well, it made us rely more on the remote capabilities, mm-hmm. but that's something that you know everyone had to get used to in a very quick manner. And then one thing, maybe it wasn't a problem early on, but actually we're seeing it now more, is uh, the lack of paper availability on the market. So I think, again, the the inventories and the things were used up in the early stages. And now we're to the point where some customers, independent converters are struggling to secure paper. And that's just because it's not being produced fast enough because the demand has been so high. They're basically at capacity. Everybody, yeah. Yeah. Everybody's running (laughs) 24-7 and and they're converting it just as fast as they can get it. I think that is going to be a momentary issue, but it's an issue right now. Is there going to be a point where there's almost a reversal in this and we have too much capacity? Yes, I think the tissue industry is always on the verge of, you know, it straddles that line of over and under capacity. Again, right now, COVID really isn't going to change the capacity to produce tissue because, again, those tissue machines are set, those projects are known, and those are seen many years in advance. So the whole industry knows that a major project is going to come online in 2021. And you can see the impacts of that on supply and demand, and people, I think, more or less can plan for it. I think right now, again, everybody putting out as much as they can on the at-home side, that's not sustainable for the long term. I I would expect everyone is planning in for a slowdown to that. No one can maybe tell us today when that's going to be, but it's going to happen at some point. So I think it just is a matter of returning to a more uh, normal level of productivity uh, over time. 
So what are some of the things that the tissue industry and, and maybe even you at Fabio Perina have been doing to ensure sanitation during COVID-19? Yeah, I mean, it, it uh, again, everyone was learning on the fly, and uh, I've seen a wide variety of internal policies and procedures come out. I know here in, in my organization, obviously, we followed heavily the guidance of our Centers for Disease Control, the World Health Organization, local departments of health and things like that that were issuing guidance. So everybody had to make the best they could out of this new scenario. And for the most part, I, I guess I'm pretty impressed in what I've seen within the paper industry. And I also participate in some local business groups that have a wide variety of representation of different industries. And really, people came together to exchange best practices in a way that I would not have guessed. Major corporations were publishing their very in-depth and detailed guidebooks for anyone to utilize, which I thought was great, just to help, help everyone jumpstart their safety precautions, essentially. One thing I, I certainly did see at the beginning was some inconsistency in how people reacted to potential cases or confirmed cases within facilities. As this is new to everybody and we're trying to understand, A, the risk to everyone, but then how do you administratively handle this? You know, you certainly saw some hiccups at the beginning where communication wasn't being shared between, let's say, uh, the local site and maybe a third party like our organization. So we had some people coming into situations that were unknown and it just, it forced a better level of communication all the way around. And it's been nice to see companies at all levels be able to pick up the phone and say, this is what we're doing. Are you doing anything better? Can I learn from you or vice versa? And hey, can we just share some information to make sure that all of our employees are protected and safe regardless of, of who they work for or where they are? Yeah, we've seen the collaboration across all industries, especially mm -hmm. uh, in manufacturing. It's been really, really nice. What do you think is the biggest challenge for tissue producers coming out of the pandemic? You know, it's the rebalancing is going to be, be a challenge. And just, I don't think anyone is forecasting that they're going to be running at these high levels of, of production and even, you know, profitability, because a lot of producers are making hay, as, as we would say in this time frame, to see a spike in revenues or profits in, let's say, the second or third quarters at some point will have to adjust to a more normal. There's rumor or thoughts that pulp prices will increase in the fourth quarter. That, that's always a major piece of the equation for producers. One thing I think that's going to be interesting is, you know, how does everyone react to this new constant threat of disruption via a COVID-19 infection within a facility? Because that's not going to go away. I mean, there's no vaccine uh, on the horizon we're going to have to deal with the fact that our people are going to be exposed and some people are going to catch this. As those instances happen, you know, how disruptive will that be to a mill site? And then I think even companies that today compete in the away from home market sector, I mean, they're going to have obviously difficult market conditions because their industries have been in a lot of cases decimated. But now there's also the increased costs of their primary fibers, which might be sorted off as paper or things for the recycled uh, fibers. So away from home got hit hard by a lack of demand. And now, you know, as uh, they come back online, I think they're going to have some price challenges too with their primary fiber mix. Mm -hmm. What new technologies are coming down the pipe that tissue producers and converters should be aware of? I'm most excited about the concept of self-adjusting machine technology, which is something I know at our organization we're pushing hard to get out on the market. And that to me is something, if I look at the tissue industry, at least the converting side, 
I think in a lot of ways, it's behind the times. It has not automated to the level of a lot of other modern industries. So it's always been a struggle. How do you control or how do you have a smooth process in tissue converting when you have, in many cases, a very variable source of raw materials being put in, uh, a lot of manual interaction with a lot of labor challenges? Your whole process is designed to create variability as you formulate your finished good. So if we can get some technology in there that finally closes the loop, that can help producers use whatever source of materials they can and run them at the highest level of efficiencies that they can and uh, ultimately not require people that understand the, the art of converting as much as they have had to in the past. And then along that line comes in, how do you integrate all the concepts of things like artificial intelligence and machine learning? Those concepts play also into the self-adjusting machine where we can finally start extracting some data and looking at this over, let's say, you know, the entire industry, hopefully at some point, and start to use that data to drive better business practices and better operational results. Sounds like we'll be prepared for the next pandemic then. That <laughs> Certainly will help. Just out of curiosity, has there been um, technology that Fabio Perini is offering that your clients have really been after over the last three months? What has been their primary concern when they call you? We've been pushing, I would say, honestly, for years for our industry and for our customers to adopt a better level of remote support. Technology has improved so greatly where, you know, everyone's got a cell phone, everyone's got HD video capability, two-way, the ability to interact. We pushed very hard early on with the use of augmented reality, that we call them wearable glasses, so that we can leave a set of those in a mill site as long as they've got a Wi-Fi connection, which is not a given in every scenario. But if they have a stable Wi-Fi connection, we can be sitting here in Green Bay, Wisconsin, troubleshooting a line in, uh, in Montreal without any issue seeing uh, in real time what's going on and able to interact with on-screen annotations. We're able to share blueprints, diagrams, processes directly in, the, in a person's uh, line of sight. So we've been pushing for that and our customers are finally, I, I think COVID has helped people realize that it's not hard. It needs to be utilized because uh, what we see in, in most cases, a interaction, a real-time video interaction between us and a customer can resolve most problems in minutes and it can save a lot of downtime, which again, especially in these times when capacities are strained, 15 minutes or an hour of downtime is a lot of cases out the door. So people have been asking for how we can do that easier. Luckily, we've had a solution for some time, but it's really forced people to open themselves up to the idea that it's okay to interact in a new way. Yeah, I mean, downtime, but also, you know, the cost, I think the way oh, that we all sure. travel is, is definitely going to be changing yep. after after this is all said and done. So. No, that, that, that's a great point. One thing we're looking at here is, you know, we have a large group of traveling service technicians, their lives have been disrupted. So we don't know what that's going to look like. So it's going to force people to work in a different way, because I know we have a backlog of work ourselves that is going to take maybe the rest of the year to work through in a traditional sense. But there's probably a lot of that work that can be done utilizing just a little bit of readily available technology. We also, as an industry, don't utilize the power of data to the level that it can be used. So again, I mentioned earlier things like machine learning and artificial intelligence. And I know they're popular buzzwords in a lot of cases, but I know certainly for the tissue converting industry, we are now coming online with some really sophisticated services that can 
spot trends that can head off a problem before it occurs and save customers all the money of a catastrophic failure or the downtime associated. But we just have to be willing to share that data in a secure way, which there are many, many ways to do that. But as an industry, we need to open up a little bit and understand that the secretive nature of tissue is, yes, there's importance to that, but there's also the understanding that utilizing some basic uh, data off these machines could really open up our customers for a much higher level of productivity. As long as we can provide some benefits from that data, I think we should be utilizing it. Mm -hmm. Speaking of sharing information, I hope that this podcast helps our listeners. If they want to get in touch with you at Tappy or at Fabio Prini, how might they do that? The easiest way, I mean, people can feel free to email me if they'd like, peter.augustine at fabioperini.com. I'm also on LinkedIn, so feel free to search me out, connect with me there. That would be great. Well, thanks so much for your insights today, Pete, and take care. All right. Thank you so much, Christine. Okay. Thank you. Thanks again to our guest, Pete Augustine, president of Fabio Perini North America and board chair of TAPI. Find more episodes of this podcast, as well as the latest industry news, at pulpandpapercanada.com and on Twitter at Pulp Paper Canada. You can also search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn. I'm Christina Urquhart. Thanks for tuning in to Pulp and Paper Canada, the podcast.